Yes, it is. And welcome back. Monday, January 10th, 2022. A few major items about a much more important point. We discussed this just a little bit on Friday. Others have brought it up today. But here's the item. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, in a speech she gave before she was nominated to the Supreme Court, said, quote, I would hope that a wise Latina woman with the richness of her experiences would more often than not reach a better conclusion than a white male who hasn't lived that life, close quote. Your race and gender get you a smarter outcome, is what she's saying, which would mean, of course, that Kamala Harris will get us better public policy choices, as would Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez then say, I don't know, Bill Clinton or Albert Einstein, never mind Mark Levin or Dennis Prager. What about Clarence Thomas? Anyone recall how much sport was made at his expense for being, as they said, an affirmative action pick for conservatives, not qualified? Or how silent he was during oral arguments. One New Yorker magazine headline, quote, Clarence Thomas, awful silence, close quote. Maybe the old adage that sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're dumb than open it up and prove it to them would be a condign, condign piece of advice to Sonia Sotomayor just about right now. For several problems come to light over her line of questioning during oral arguments last week about OSHA Biden. COVID and Biden's COVID vaccine mandates. She put it this way during oral argument, quote, we have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before in serious condition and many on ventilators, close quote. That was even too much for the Washington Post, which fact checked her. I think a first for the Washington Post and a Supreme Court justice. Here's what the Washington Post wrote, quote, that's wildly incorrect. Assuming she was referring to hospitalizations, given the reference to ventilators, according to HHS data, as of January 8th, there are about 5000 children hospitalized in a pediatric bed, either with suspected covid or confirmed covid laboratory test. This figure includes patients in observation beds. So Sotomayor's number is at least 20 times higher than reality, even before you determine how many are in Serious condition, close quote. She was given the maximum for Pinocchios. The first problem is the retail problem of the left, so believing their own talking points, also known as propaganda, that they live so insularly in happy ignorance of truth or fact. All well and good if you live in some kind of Edward Abbey desert solitaire where you don't interact with anyone, but disastrous for law and public health. If you have any purchase on any form of public responsibility or responsibility for or to the public, like, say, someone who can approve or void laws that affect hundreds of millions of Americans, both alive today and to be born and live with your decisions in the future, since there is such a thing as Supreme Court precedent. Additionally, what is the traditional precept of legal evidence? What if it were to apply to a U.S. Supreme Court justice? Falsus in uno, falsus in omnibus, which is to say if you are wrong in one thing, why should we not infer you are wrong in all things, especially when it's the most basic of facts? We've spoken a lot about the left simply dismissing us. We, the uneducated, the irresponsible, the deniers of this or that, which is in front of our own two eyes, white supremacists for being on another side of an opinion, or simply just relating absolute hard facts. This is what happens. 
I don't care if this was given to her by a clerk or not. Does she not read anything outside of, say, the press releases of the mayor of Washington, D.C.? And does a number as high as she cited not give her pause enough to want to double check it before she broadcasts it to the world? There's a lot of that going on around right now. By the way, even that 5,000 number from the Washington Post fact checker is off. As the director of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, said yesterday, the number is 3,500. She said something else, too, I hope you'll focus on, Rochelle Walensky. 75% of COVID deaths are in people who had a minimum of, count them, not one, not two, not three, but four comorbidities. 75% of COVID deaths are in people who had a minimum of four comorbidities. Talk about those comorbidities up until now, especially obesity, but others, and you were banned, shadow banned, or shamed. Used to be people who were ahead of the conventional wisdom, discovering truth, especially in medicine, were given Nobel Prizes. For the past two years, they were given censure and censorship, accused of not following the science. There's a lot of that going around right now, too. But where do people like Bill Bennett and Heather MacDonald and Scott Atlas and Dennis Prager, me, where do we go to get our apologies? You see, what reading only your own highly rigid, partisan, afactual, ideological propaganda can lead to. It can lead to the cost of lives. And we've cost a lot of lives with this abuse of science, speech and knowledge. And it can cost a lot more than that, too. Based on this kind of fear, panic, and ignorance, we punished and freaked out the well and the healthy for two years. Children did pay a price, a huge price, but not because they were put on ventilators. I don't know if there's enough money to compensate for the torture we put our children through. As an aside, an emergency department doctor said to me this weekend, quote, we wouldn't have capacity problems if everyone with a sniffle who tested positive at home didn't come in. They didn't need to, but the world has freaked them out, close quote. Yes, well, not the world perhaps, but everyone impervious to any good news and anyone who wants Republicans out of office and everyone who is a leftist and everyone who thinks America is a sick society to the degree any part of it is governed or spoken about by someone to the starboard side of Joe Lieberman or Joe Manchin. You kind of understand just now why William Buckley would say he should sooner live in a society governed by the first 2,000 names in the Boston Telephone Directory than in a society governed by the 2,000 faculty members of Harvard University. Yes, indeed, Joe the Plumber is seeming much more intelligent than the self-declared wise Latina sitting on our Supreme Court who thinks based on her race and gender she will come to better conclusions about life than, say, someone like Joe the Plumber. But there's a lot more here. First, anyone who points out Joe Lieberman and Joe Manchin are still acceptable Democrats does have some cleanup on aisle six to take care of. They, along with Alan Dershowitz, who voted for every Democrat ever put in front of them, have been basically tossed from the party and certainly tossed from the movement. Keep that in mind next time someone raises purity tests or if you say the Democratic Party is at root a moderate party. Second, What is to be said about people who deem themselves smart or successful or hero role models because of their race or gender when they succeed or advance in life? Does the same rule apply when they fail? 
If they are great, as Sotomayor and Kamala Harris have loved reading press clippings about themselves because of their race and gender, what is to be said about their race and gender when they fail? This is the problem, the highly delicate but singularly serious problem of group responsibility, also known as prejudice based on race or gender. Prejudging someone because of their group traits does not always mean a bad or negative thing. Keep that in mind. Prejudice can be in one's favor. Hell, after all, the left tell us whites are ipso facto successes or privileged because of their race. Jews and Asians are told that every day when they apply for a scholarship or just a school admission somewhere. Yes, it turns out another conservative was right long ago, too. Shelby Steele. He put it that these kinds of prejudices in the guise of affirmative action can lead to what he called a permanent stigma of questionable competence. Why else do you think news organizations work so hard to bury facts about alleged criminals when they are not white and rush to point out that alleged criminals are white or posted something positive about a Republican when they do make news? Malo and Uno, Malo and Omnibus is the work of fascists and communists and should never be a notion, operational or otherwise, in a society organized to counterpoise tyrannies like that any more than bonum in uno and bonum in omnibus should be. We treat individuals for who they are, not what they are. See the First Amendment or the Declaration of Independence or the Nuremberg Trials. And finally, what does all the backtracking by the likes of Anthony, Anthony Fauci, Michael Osterholm, and Rochelle Walensky say about the progressive experiment? Professor Brad Watson, author of more books on progressivism than anyone I've ever heard of, defines the movement this way, quote, The progressive idea, simply put, is that the principled American constitutionalism of fixed natural rights and limited and dispersed powers must be overturned and replaced by an organic evolutionary model of the Constitution that facilitates the authority of experts dedicated to the expansion of the public sphere and political control, especially at the national level, close quote. This all comes with five major applications, the fifth being this, quote, that some individuals stand outside the democratic process, an elite class possessed of intelligence as a method who provide the messianic leadership needed to move the process smoothly along. Can you think of anybody in our oh, I don't know, infectious disease or Centers for Disease Control and Prevention universe that might match that description. Governance by credential and expertise by an elite. Query as to whether that is better than governance by race or gender. I suppose that would depend on if you are Clarence Thomas or Ibrahim Kendi. The first, not qualified to govern. The second, given a mandate to do so. The first, because he didn't take race seriously enough. The second, because that's exactly what he did or does. What is all this expertise of Sotomayor or Fauci or Walensky worth? It turns out it's worth revealing ignorance and dangerousness because these ignorant have outborne their power. And the power to impress and propagandize is power to make one drunk, to create, spread and expand fear and paranoia, to cause problems in order to create solutions. Tell me that isn't what's happening at our hospitals right now, crowding our emer emergency departments. And so far as the staffing issue, 
Thousands more hospital workers would be available if they weren't sanctioned for not getting a vaccine. They don't think, and now we all know, won't stop them from transmitting the virus to others in the first place. Rochelle Walensky just said that over the weekend, too. C.S. Lewis isn't taught anymore, just as Aristotle isn't and Lincoln isn't and Orwell isn't. But just because they are from ages past does not mean we live more enlightened for mothballing them. Lewis put it this way. My contention is that good men, not bad men, consistently acting upon the contentions of their own self-righteousness would act as cruelly and unjustly as the greatest tyrants. They might, in some respects, act even worse. Of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It may be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of only their conscience. They may be more likely to go to heaven, yet at the same time likelier to make a hell on earth. Their very kindness stings with intolerable insult. To be cured against one's will and cured of states which we may not regard as disease is to be put on a level with those who have not yet reached the age of reason or those who never will. To be classed with infants, imbeciles, and domestic animals, close quote. Well, you give up on natural rights, truth, reason, and common sense, and this is what you get. Progressivism. The story of every tyranny will show, be it Stalinist, Hitler, Mao, Castro, Pol Pot, so many others we thought we buried in history's tuspin. They all began and justified themselves upon abnegation of natural rights, and they all end treating humans as animals and themselves as gods. We used to say, faster please, when it came to defeating terrorists. Faster please now must be invoked in order to save the West. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Well, I mean, you know, sometimes she says the quiet part out loud. This is a debate about certain, uh, from certain members in the press complaining that Joe Biden is not giving much time to the press, especially or the media, especially as so many confusing things are being broadcast from the executive agencies of the White House, from his administration, and so much of the media rooting for him, but also wishing they could ask questions of him. But they know in that, wanting to ask questions of him, the open mic format or the open Q&A format could lead to great embarrassment. So they're not sure whether they have, um, you know, a wolf by the tail that they should let go of or a wolf by the tail that they should continue to hold on to. They don't know whether to defend him or criticize him. You get a little bit of the same thing with Nancy Pelosi. Not quite as much, but a little bit of it. What you get from her is the saying of the quiet parts out loud. We have suggested here that the Democrats have two things, really only two things, fear and shaming of Republicans over not buying into that fear, particularly when it comes to COVID. And that's just disappearing before our very eyes. Every weekend, 
seems to bring a new round of CDC or infectious disease spokesmen from the administration saying things that, oh, I don't know, Dennis Prager, Heather McDonald, and I wrote a year and a half ago. Um, that's the one thing. The other thing they have is the continued, yes, let's call it weaponization, since so few weapons existed on January 6th, at least in the hands of the rioters. The weaponization of January 6th. That's the other thing they have, that Republicans want to end democracy, those who don't denounce January 6th. Meanwhile, they can't find a Republican who hasn't. But here's um, Nancy Pelosi on CBS Sunday morning yesterday. Just listen to this for a second. What the Republicans are doing across the country is really a a legislative continuation of what they did on January 6th. There you go, a legislative continuation of what they did. Take it from the top again, please. Take it from the top. What the Republicans are doing across the country is really a a legislative continuation of what they did on January 6th. What they did on January 6th. What they did on January 6th. Republicans. How many Republican officials... How many Republican elected um, uh, members of any body or of any institution whatsoever? Uh, How many party registrations of those 700 plus arrestees of January 6th has Nancy Pelosi looked at? Does she even know if they are Republicans? But that's not really the main point. The main point is tying January 6th. So when Newt Gingrich was proposing welfare reform, Charles Rangel and Jesse Jackson said they used to come in white hoods. Now they come talking welfare reform. That was the original dog whistle, if you will. That was the original claim to being a or imputation to being a white supremacist for being a Republican, merely being a Republican, talking about welfare in the same exact way that Robert Kennedy did in the 19. 19- 60s. Um, They're now doing that with January 6th because they have so rendered meaningless words like racism, words like fascist, words like tyrant, words like white supremacist. They tried all those and they buried them and ran them into the ground. So anytime a Republican does anything that a Democrat doesn't like, it's a continuation of what they did on January 6th. Be aware of this. Be aware of this. And also be aware of how much it's not working. Do you see what CNN did on January 6th? Hour after hour, special after special on January 6th. They didn't once get 1.5 million viewers on that day, January 6th this year. CNN didn't. Not once did they hit 1.5 million viewers. Meanwhile, over at Fox News, they averaged all day 2.8 million. It's not working anymore. I think they know it. I think that explains their desperation. But be wary of the desperate, rabid animal. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 34 past the hour. That means it's time for John Dombrowski of Grand Canyon Planning Associates and his culture and economy update. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com. He has his own radio show heard here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., the word on wealth. 
But GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website if you want to reach out to him or any of his associates. J.D., happy Monday to you. A new day, a new week, a new a, a new lease on life? Yes, absolutely. How are you today? I'm doing, I'm doing just fine. Thank you, sir. Great. Just fine. We've got culture, a lot of things. And economy today. Yeah, there's culture a lot going on, mix. and a resignation yeah. from the Fed, and mm. I guess a hearing tomorrow on Mr. Powell being reappointed to chair the Fed, and an right. anniversary of the iPhone. Where do you want to start? Well, this is a little bit of culture and economy yeah. in one. Yeah. When you think about culture, I mean. If you're uh, out at a restaurant and you see three or four people at a table, most of them are looking down at the table, uh, but it's not at their food. It's probably at their phone. And so we have in our lives, daily lives, uh, we've created a culture where our phones are part of us, right? Absolutely. It's an extension of us. You bet. You bet. And that was 15 years ago. Apple CEO Steve Jobs, he stood on a stage in... Uh, at an expo in San Francisco, and he introduced for the first time, just 15 years ago, the iPhone. And, people you know, people it, think, it, I mean, you think back about it, right? You think it's anatomically attached to people. Right. And you're right. You're absolutely right. This thing has only been with us about 15 years. But my gosh, take it away for, from someone for an hour and they go crazy. Yeah, it's it's. It can be a, a real benefit to many people, but it is a problem for others, no question about it. And you can track, now you can track your own, uh, I guess, usage on your phone, yeah. so you can see how much time you spend on it, yeah. and each week it'll give you a report as to how much time you spend. If you do that on your phone, you probably would be shocked. Uh, now, if you don't use the phone for business, I know a lot of people, maybe you're retired, whatever it happens to be, you may look at your other apps, Facebook or Instagram or whatever you use. Uh, but you'd be shocked at how many hours people spend on their phones per day. Uh, and uh, it's, as I said, it could be a positive for some people, but it certainly can be a negative for others. It creates the old question, is it more useful or is it more uh, more of a, yeah. yeah, right, more baleful to our society? I have a pretty easy answer. I don't know if you would agree with it or not. But my answer is for the productive in our world, it's much yeah. more useful and a benefit. For the non-productive, it's 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 a decline. It's it's unhelpful, and based on what you use it for. A lot of the children today, yeah. Some of the things that are going on. Hey, so here's the interesting thing about this. Yeah. You know, back if we with all the the splits that the stock has done over the years. Yeah. uh, If we go back just 15 years ago, which we think that's a long time, but if we go back 15 years ago to 2006, um, you know that. Share price of Apple was one dollar and thirty cents, <laughs> and today it's uh, it's not. I believe, <laughs> and today it's that. move the decimal. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's interesting. And and here's where I wanted to go with this today, Seth. Is the markets have been having some volatility issues right now and some challenges with uh, the concerns over uh, pressures from inflation, as well as the uh, interest rate environment, as we start to see interest rates creep up, hitting 1.8% on the 10-year Treasury, just uh, 1.5 at the year end, so up 30 basis points since in the last 10 days. Um, and it's spooking the markets a bit. But believe me, there have been a lot of ups and downs in the markets over the last 15 years. Yeah. And if you look at a stock like Apple, if you would have just held on to it and did nothing, 
that stock is now a $3 trillion valuation for that company. And that stock price was $1.30 up to 172 Now, oh. not all companies are going to do that. <laughs> but I'm just making an argument. Don't sweat the small stuff, these, these blips in the markets. Let's invest for the long term, and we can realize the potential that we can have allowing our money to work for us and allowing the markets to do what they do best. It's not an investment strategy, but it is a strategy of some kind or other to say, don't write off the geniuses. Don't write off the right. geniuses. I remember a time when people thought Apple was going south. It had something like 2% market share. Yep. I remember yep. that same, time. Same with uh, all the other big yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah, Facebook yeah, yeah. was going out of business, uh, uh, and now look what that's done, uh, and, and Amazon and so forth, Google. 100,000 right. times more processing power than the Apollo 11 computer that put man on the moon. Yeah. It's in your hand. Okay. It's in your hand. Imagine what you can do with that power, right? J.D., right, so, yes. yes, go ahead. Thank you. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finman Tippett, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. John Dabrowski, God bless you. Godspeed. We'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm Seth, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Boy, you could just sit there and listen to Eric Clapton all day long, couldn't you? He's 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 island music, right? Island music being if you were stuck with one musician, who would it be? Bill has an interesting uh an interesting category of music. Uh he sprung on me right before the show, which of course ceased all work. Um <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it, but basically it would be like this. If there's music you love, in a certain genre, let's just take rock or classic rock. If there's certain classic rock you love, great. If there's certain classic rock you hate, you know, you'll turn the channel or switch the station or fast forward or go to something else. But what is in the category of music? Am I getting close to the right way of describing this in the Vulgate Bill? What is the category of music or what are the examples in the category of music that are right in the middle? Something that if it's on, you don't love, but, yeah, good enough, I'll stick with it, right? I don't know what we call that, maybe the mediating category, but it's interesting to think about what goes in there. And the answer, if you think about it, is probably most. Most music probably goes there. Anyway, someone, uh, someone well-versed in uh, many things, including music. Rob in surprise. Hi, Rob. Well, hi, Seth. I hope you had a great weekend. I, I did. I did. It was one of those weekends where not a lot got done, though a lot was efforted. Have you ever had those? Well, you tried to do I, a lot, but, you know, the tiredness just kind of summoned you back to oh, the yeah. books in the bed. <laughs> yes, and yet the dog poop still needs to be picked up. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, um, now, when, when you were talking music, and I think this is something that you brought up last week yeah. about you know, uh, best concert uh, or first concert. Oh, yeah, yeah. And best music. Sure. Um, my first concert was Buddy Rich when I was 16. Pretty I darn good thing to say. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Um, the best concert, that's that's a tough one because I saw Rush in London. I saw uh, Chuck Mangione in San Diego. I saw Dave Brubeck in Seattle. And it's just, uh, and I saw Stan Kenton somewhere north of Milwaukee and in Milwaukee. Um, I I can't pick a favorite. Now, I know you like, and so do I, Jay Ferguson, 
Um, and maybe it's my nautical background because, you know, I'm more of a shake down cruise guy than a Thunder Island guy. But I think you're right about the structure of, uh, of uh, Thunder Island. But I still think the structure of uh, Shakedown Cruise is pretty good. And then for Bill. By the um, way, have you I ever watched the show The Office? Um, I, I've only seen bits of it. But the th- he I wrote the theme. Funny. You could dine out oh, on that, did? probably. <laughs> you could probably dine out on yeah. that one the rest of your life, I'm guessing. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and I think he's done a lot of other either TV shows. Yeah, I think some cartoon stuff, or... maybe something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know, he's had a pretty successful musical career. Oh, yeah. Now, in, in Bill's case, of course, you know, we're, we're Russian, and I love Limelight. I love almost everything Rush does. My, I guess my personal favorite Rush song would be The Big Money. Um, mainly because, and again, the, the words are good. The you like it, Bill? Great. I want to get a, a vote on Bill. All right, you can go out with it if you want, Bill. I'll give you permission. Okay. To oh, yeah. yeah Play sure. the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, it's okay. I'll, I'll go yeah. home. No, no, no. It's just the music show. Play the whole um, thing. <laughs> no. I also, you know, I also like, and, and it's kind of tough to categorize, um, any band with, with the harmony, like the Beach Boys, the early Hollies, um, and and any Simon and Garfunkel probably songs. defines harmony to me Simon better than anything. Good, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you remember Seven Bridges Road by the Eagles? Oh, that's harmony on stilts. Yeah, good call. You never, yeah. you almost never yeah. get that song on radio. But yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. and and that's got to be one of my favorites. And again, I, I I don't know that I can have a single favorite. Anyway, what I was calling about was um, using using our way back time machine. Remember in civics class when you used to learn about you know, the function of the executive branch and the judicial branch. And the yes, they had a phrase branch. for it. Separation of something. Separation of uh, power. That's it. Yeah, that was that's what we yep. used to be governed under. Yes. Now, now, you know, I'm I'm wondering and I don't necessarily know everything here about what's going on in the Supreme Court. But is their job not simply to just determine whether or not the mandate is constitutional? Yes. Not whether it's efficacious. Now, that, right. Right. That's right. Right. And and if that's the case, you know, I don't care what Sotomayor says. I don't care what any of these other people say. I don't care who they dine with in the evening. Um, all, it, it seems awfully obvious and straightforward to me. Um, and, and, of course, not just interpreting the Constitution, but the function of the Supreme Court is to... to uh, it's uh, not a super legislature. It is not a fact-finding commission. It is not that's the Warren right. Commission. Right. Yeah. That's right. And all it is is to interpret the law and interpret the Constitution. Now, as far as I know, the mandate isn't the law. No, 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 you're right. It's an order. It's an administrative order, which can become, which which if held constitutional will be, you know, will have the force of law. And, And, of course, then if that's true, what they're ruling on is they're trying to determine if, something that really isn't the law. Well, it's this weird thing and and here's the thing you'll know it. It's it's you'll know the phrase. It's it's this weird thing called administrative law. And 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 it is it is it does have the force of law, right? The the administrative state can pass down <clears throat> if they're constitutional orders that we do have to abide by. You'll note, you'll remember maybe from your civics class um, back during the Korean War, a famous case having to do with U.S. steel and Harry Truman and him seizing the steel factories for war production purposes. 
um, you'll you'll recall a famous Robert Jackson opinion where he talked about the orders of the law we have to follow and we have to obey. And this one was on the lowest rung, the kind of thing you're describing, but still nonetheless, mm-hmm. yeah, still nonetheless, uh, a law we have to obey if held constitutional. Yeah, and and so again, I guess that's part of my confusion. We're uh, we're worried about what the Supreme Court may be ruling on something called a mandate, which isn't a law, and, yeah, administrative or otherwise, and whether or not it's constitutional, which pers- personally, yeah, personally um, I, I don't think it passes the smell test. No, it now, doesn't. Mr. I don't Rob, think it does Mr. either. Rob mentioned there, there was something about a uh, dignity health uh, issue where workers were going to be uh, allowed to work with COVID. And yet they have laid off people ahead of time for not taking the vax, and that doesn't apply to them, and they don't have COVID. So they can't rehire people that they laid off with, uh, with unless they had COVID or something, but a lot of them didn't, so they laid them off. But now they're saying they can bring people in who have COVID to work in Dignity Health, which yep. I'm sure is yep. a big con- conglomerate that owns hospitals. Yeah, the hospital. You know, the, the two and two hugely interesting things will have to will will have to wait to see how they reveal themselves. One is I can't wait to see if Justice Sotomayor now feels she has to write an opinion, whether it's a majority, please God no, or a dissent, please, if anything, and what she'll say, knowing that she was roasted over getting basic facts of the case wrong in open court. By the way, nothing prompted her to speak. She didn't have to speak. Nothing says a Supreme Court justice has to ask questions. That's one. Two is what's been going on with the hospitals? What's been going on with the hospitals, the reimbursements, and the real truth of with or from COVID? You bet. There's going to be an accounting at some point. I'm sure of it. Not as good as we want, but something. I have so much to say about this, but I, I just know I'll lose all my audience and my producer. So best I say nothing. I'll take the lesson Sonia Sotomayor did not take. Mark is in Mesa. Hello, Mark. <laughs> Seth, absolutely love your show. Thanks. A long-time listener. Thanks. First-time caller. Oh, though. wow. Well, welcome. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Hey, I, I just tuned in to you for the first time today, and I heard you taking calls from people about their favorite concerts. If they want, sure. It was a question I asked uh, last week, but, you know, there are no closed questions on an open society. And <laughs> I, um, I was the question I originally posed last week was um, best concert and first concert, and they're usually not the same. Oh, I've got a good one for you. I All think. right. Let's hear it. I think. I think you'll appreciate this. My very first concert was Jimmy Buffett, Celebrity Theater, 1979. That's a great answer. That is the winning answer so far. Okay. Well, well, my favorite concert. Did, it, did they? Did he come out on a like a, a, a in any kind of uh, weird proscenium? Was there like a like a, a you know palm trees or was there sand on the stage? Was there a hammock, palm trees, anything like not, that? Not, not Days. Back okay. in those days, it was just him and his band. Okay. Set up on. He's evolved quite a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, my favorite concert, I have to say, was in 2005, Memorial Day weekend. 
Texas Stadium in uh, the Dallas area. Uh, it was uh, Alan Jackson, George Strait, oh, yeah. and Jimmy Buffett all three together. That's pretty darn good. That's pretty darn awesome. good. George, I, you know, one of uh, yeah, I, any one of those would be a great concert on their own. The three of them, fabulous. You know, one of the most interesting parts of it was that uh, it was basically three separate concerts. Uh, Alan Jackson went first, uh, George Strait went second, then Jimmy Buffett closed it out as the day went on. And then they all three, uh, or all, they all three. Oh, I can guess what they joined. closed with. I can guess. <laughs> they probably closed with five o'clock somewhere, didn't they? They absolutely did. Yeah, of course. They, <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't too hard to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I've seen George. I've seen. Well, I've seen Jimmy three times. I've seen George once. I haven't seen Alan Jackson. Uh, but that's I've seen the, Jimmy. I've seen yeah. Jimmy a couple more times. Yeah, I've seen him fifty-one times. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Mark, <laughs> my, you are my, my show. Don't don't make <laughs> don't make this your last call. I want to hear from you often. And if you don't know the story Absolutely. of the song "Short Woman," in, uh, "Smart Woman in a Real Short Skirt," call back. If you don't know that I've heard story, her call that, in. okay, she's called into your yeah, show. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I want more of you, Mark. More, not less. Bless you, sir. Welcome. Happy New Year and all the rest. Brandon J. Weikert coming right up. We have a lot of international stuff to discuss.